This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. I received an important piece of work from the desk of the head of SA Investments at 91, i.e. Nazmira Muller, and the headline is Why South Africa Needs a Stimulus Plan. Nazmira is with me now. Nazmira, we've needed a stimulus plan for 10, 15, 20, maybe even 25 years, maybe even beyond. So why now? Why this piece? Why did you pen this piece of work? I'm not sure we needed a stimulus plan for 10, 20 years. I think we needed a growth plan. Growth plan involves structural reforms and invigorating investment by the private sector. A stimulus plan involves fiscal spending by the government. And I would argue we actually spent far too much of the previous 10 years involved in stimulus plans that were not needed at that point in time. You say in the second paragraph of the piece, you say, unlike most other countries in the world, South Africa has announced limited fiscal stimulus. We know we've had monetary stimulus and the monetary policy of the Republic of South Africa has been in good hands, but uh, very little from the fiscal side. Is that your contention? Very much so. So if you look at what's been announced in developed markets, you've seen major spending packages somewhere between 12 to 15 percent of GDP being announced. Even in emerging markets like Brazil or Indonesia or Poland, north of 3 percent, sometimes much higher being announced. South Africa, if you add it all together, the little bits of support for healthcare providers, um, agricultural food providers and the benefit from the UIF fund um, to employers, that adds up to about 0.7% of GDP. So we are providing much less than you're likely to see elsewhere. And the reason this is important is on current estimates, a five-week lockdown translates to a contraction in GDP for this year of about 6.2% of GDP. In order to preserve the productive capacity in the economy and to ensure that the rebound in growth into next year is strong, we need a fiscal response right now that protects jobs. That's really important. Otherwise, what will happen is companies will face too much pressure. um, They will not be able to survive. They will close and this will just destroy jobs on mass scale. How can we protect jobs? Do we give money to the employers? Do we give money to the disenfranchised employees like they are in the United States? I think everyone's getting a check in the post or people that qualify will get a 1200 US dollar check in the post from Donald Trump. How do we how do we do it in South Africa? How do we protect jobs? Well, I think the better way to do it is to use the South African Revenue Service and um, provide a transfer for qualifying businesses who employ a certain number of employees whose revenue has been hit more than a certain percentage by COVID-19. I think that's probably the best way to do it. And therefore, you ensure that those employers keep their employees on the books and they have to keep them on the books for a certain period of time after the lockdown. Otherwise, that rebate needs to be refunded. 
Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Especially when tax receipts are well down, and we've seen that, and we'll keep on getting updates on that. Also, when people are talking about sovereign wealth funds and state-controlled banks and all that sort of thing, but there isn't enough money for any of these expansive packages. And obviously, since those measures that I've just mentioned or other those initiatives that I've just mentioned were announced, everything has changed. The world has changed. And you say, under the headline, does South Africa need a stimulus package? You say, well, it may be difficult to find the money, it's vital that South Africa enacts a COVID-19 relief package, one that comprises significantly more than has already uh, been announced. But again, it begs the question, where does the money come from? Well, I think the reason why it's important we find the money at this point in time, and I think there are potential options for us, is because if we don't, what we're doing is destroying the tax base into the future. So we're going to have to cut spending next year as well, which is further going to hurt the economy. So that's why it's really important we find at least around 2% of GDP as stimulus at this point in time. To answer your question, where does the money come from? Well, ideally, it should have come out of the local bond market. And if we had gone into this crisis in the same fiscal position that we went into the global financial crisis in 2008, we would have had no issue. Unfortunately, 10 years of complete mismanagement by Jacob Zuma has meant that we went into this crisis in quite a difficult fiscal position um, with very little room for the Treasury to ramp up issuance on a weekly basis beyond the $4 billion odd that they're currently issuing every week into the market. Um, so I think we need to find external funding, even if it's bridge funding for a period of time. And I think that Personally, I think South Africa needs to explore all options that are available, whether that is the new development bank, the BRICS bank, I understand there's a possibility of a billion dollars from there, whether that's the World Bank, Tito Mboini's talking about healthcare funding from there, and then also the IMF. The IMF is a bit forbidden by the ANC and its alliance partners, but I think the sorts of spending that the IMF provides these days comes with much lighter restrictions than structural adjustment programs of old. And that is what South Africa should be looking at. Okay, you've given us a a few examples here, the BRICS Bank, um, the World Bank, maybe even the IMF. But from what I understand, they only have one trillion US dollars to disperse. And already on their table in their inbox, they have maybe two and a half to three trillion dollars worth of requests. And I don't know if South Africa is one of those. And if it is, it's right at the bottom of the pile, Nazmira. But what you do say is, how should the money be spent? Should the money come in? And you say some principles to guide this supplementary spending. And there's one, two, three, there's eight or nine different ways that you want it to be spent. Now, maybe instead of going through every single one, it's actually eight points that you make. Maybe you could uh, condense it into one answer. Well, I think the first bit is you need a ring-fenced budget. All the spending that happens now cannot become recurring expenditure into the future because we can't afford it. So if we're going to borrow money now in order to support the economy, it needs to be ring-fenced. First thing. The second thing is, and this is where I think a lot of people will um, disagree with me, is I think that what we need to see is the um, bulk of the money, whether that's two thirds, um, slightly more, slightly less of it, needs to be channeled at retaining productive capacity in the economy. We need to make sure we retain the tax base into the future. We need to make sure we retain jobs into the future. And then the remainder is for the extra health equipment that is going to be required, which is going to be quite substantial. But also, I think we need to look at a very targeted intervention 
For example, there's been some really good work done by a group of economists at UCT, um, led by Murray Labrant, who when I was there, ran the department. I'm not sure if he still does, um, but many years ago when I, when I studied there, he was head of department, um, but, but who suggest that a um, temporary increase in the child support grants may be paid, I would suggest paid mid-month instead of in, 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 um, in addition to the end-of-month period, um, could support a lot of households that are going to be negatively impacted by the loss of either informal employment or employments in the formal sector in the form of restaurants, casual employment, where people are not necessarily registered for UIF and won't benefit from other programmes. Okay, so you've got eight principles and three key areas that require direct fiscal support at this point. And just to recap, you've just mentioned it, but I'm just going to put it in black and white for my own mind. Uh, Firstly, the provision of healthcare equipment to protect workers and to dramatically ramp up testing, number one. Number two, to support vulnerable workers, many of whom are in the informal sector and will not benefit, you say, from the payments the UIF will make when it resolves its systems issues. And thirdly, support for businesses to retain the all-important productive capacity. Then you go on to say, Nazmira, and this is the key point here, because all this is pie in the sky unless we address the next paragraph, or rather several paragraphs, how to fund the stimulus and the tax shortfall from the plunge in growth. And the plunge in growth um, is estimated to be anywhere from 6.1% from the South African Reserve Bank to some people I've been speaking to today talking more like uh, 10%. But anyway, how do we fund this potential stimulus package? Well, we've talked about borrowing the money or borrowing money for bridging finance, perhaps from um, global institutions. But ultimately, we need to be able to fund it locally. And in order to do that, what we need to do is restore confidence in fiscal sustainability in South Africa and raise the potential growth rates of South Africa. So what the government has done an amazing job of in the last month is taking control of the COVID-19 crisis. We've done a great job in South Africa to date. And as a result, I think that despite the economic hardships many people are experiencing, what you are seeing is a much greater confidence level in the South African government led by Sir Robert Pauza at this point in time. And we need to turn that into generalized confidence in the economy which means that we need hard decisions to be taken in this period. And you're seeing some progress. SAA, the Minister of Public Enterprises, is essentially telling the business rescue practitioners there's no more money. SA Express, a similar thing has happened. Um, I think any discussion around sovereign wealth funds and state banks have been sidelined for the current period in time. Um, I think as you go forward, and also other thing we saw this morning is the government saying to employees they can't afford a wage increase this year, which is exactly right. They cannot afford a wage increase this year. Um, What we're trying to do is preserve as many jobs as possible in the private sector where people are going to take pay cuts. The public sector cannot be looking at wage increases this year. Um, So a lot of decisions that were previously unthinkable are already happening. What we also need to see is much more private sector involvement in infrastructure provision, which gets that investment drive going. So I keep saying this, um, Gwede Mantash needs to make sure that the private sector can supply electricity going forward, get involved in water provision, um, broadband access. All the relevant ministers there need to get involved because ultimately by raising South Africa's potential growth rate from where is it now, 1%, maybe less than that, to 3%, Hmm. that's how we make ourselves fiscally sustainable and move from a bridging loan 
from international institutions to being able to fund that entirely in the local market. You know what worries me? I've got a couple of observations and a couple of fears, Nesmira. The observations are that South Africa is like a delinquent student. It's a university and is on a three-year course and for the first two and a half years messes around and enjoys him or herself. And then suddenly in the last six months suddenly starts to cram because he or she suddenly decides, my goodness me, I'm coming to the end of my tenure. He's going to actually pass this, this course. Second observation is necessity is the mother of invention. Now, that is a good thing. And I think that what we've seen in the last few weeks is a lot of mother of invention, if you see what I mean, a lot of necessities coming to the fore. But on the other hand, the worry for me to follow up with those two observations is that we're getting lost in the maelstrom of begging bowls and all the noise elsewhere. And people will say, yeah, I can see what South Africa's done and that's not bad, but we're gonna have to, they're going to have to wait a little while. Do you see my point? I don't think the IMF's going to prioritise down some list of who turned up first. I think that they are at the um, spring meetings which are now taking place. They're looking at expanding the facilities available beyond the one trillion that was previously there. So I think if we make a viable case, as long as we demonstrate a path to debt sustainability, um, there should be funds available. I And I, Lindsay, I'm an optimist. So I remember that I was in the nerdy res at university and I remember some of the brightest people in my race were some of those people that didn't study much or seemed to drink their way through the year and then turned up with grades much higher than I got at the end of the year. So it is possible. And I think the way the government has handled COVID-19 shows me that it is very possible for us to consolidate our finances and get growth going if we just work together and make decisions the way we made decisions around COVID-19. We need to stop kicking the can down the road and just make decisions. Yeah, and the other slight worry I have is that the COVID-19 decisions were easy to make because it was easy to say, well, this happened in Italy and South Korea and the United Kingdom and to a certain extent the United States, so we can just replicate those ideas. And we're, we're like cutting and pasting, whereas we're not making individual decisions on, the, on behalf of South Africa. And again, I'm being slightly sceptical, playing devil's advocate. You're very optimistic, the nerdy optimist, <laughs> as you described yourself, not me, but I'm sort of on the other side and saying, yes, but. And that we know the risks. I'm not naive enough to believe that this is a given or that the risks are not high. I am just off the view that it is possible for us to navigate our way through this. And we are seeing a lot of positive signs at the moment. And uh, maybe the third saying to add to your list is don't waste a good crisis. Yes, yes, I've heard that one from many people. I don't think many people really understand it in a historical context, but it is very, very relevant indeed, whether it be South Africa, the United States or anywhere else. Okay, so we've talked about bridge financing. We've talked about the longest term solution being the bond market. In conclusion, you say, Nazmira, South Africa needs a significant stimulus package of at least 2% of GDP, hopefully more, equating to 100 billion rand. I would say it would have to be more than that. This is not possible without external funding to ensure the external borrowing is short-term, tangible progress, you go on to say, on structural reforms is needed to facilitate local bond market issuance, which could include a special tax-free COVID-19 bond. Spending needs to be ring-fenced. Are you going to be lobbying Pretoria with this piece? I'm not 
lobbying. I'm putting an idea into the policy mix at this point in time, which I think everyone who has plausible ideas should be doing. So it's not for me about lobbying. It's about saying that if we don't protect our productive capacity, the ability of the state to spend in future years will be severely impaired. The ability of our economy to employ people will be severely impaired. So if we want to protect jobs and taxes, we need to support businesses, particularly small and medium businesses, now. Because most small and medium businesses I know are effectively bankrupt at this point in time. And that is something we need to provide support for. That's what I'm saying. And since the funding is not easily available locally, it's not going to come from just the bank's loosening um, lending criteria because this is not just a debt solution. We need more than that. Um, I think the government needs to be creative in how they look for solutions. Nesmira, I hope people are listening. I hope they will continue to listen, and I'll do my best to make sure that they do. Nesmira Muller is the head of SA Investments at 91.